0: Listen, I get it. You like saving in Bitcoin, but check this out. You can actually complement your HODL position by investing in Bitcoin startups. If you want additional upside and enjoy learning about angel investing, you should check out Lightning Ventures. Lightning Ventures is a great way to stack real equity in Bitcoin only companies. They've invested in businesses you've heard about on this show, including Azteco, CrowdHealth, and Swan Bitcoin. And Lightning Ventures makes it easy to get started in the world of early stage investing. The minimum investment is only $1,000 per deal, and you only invest in the deals that make sense to you. So if you want to get a behind the scenes look at the startups you know and love, if you want a chance to support their growth, and if you want another opportunity to profit as the Bitcoin ecosystem develops, check out the 60 second application in the show notes to get started today in building a world that runs on better money. Welcome to the Business Bitcoinization Show, the show dedicated to helping you enrich your life and grow your business with Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth. I'm your host, Josh Friedemann, and today I'm actually the guest as well. That's because I'm sharing with you today an episode from the Bitcoin Homeschoolers podcast. I was recently a guest on that podcast, and because in the days immediately preceding and following the release of this episode, I'll be out of country, I figured this would be a great opportunity for me to share with you an episode from another podcast where I was recently a guest. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'll just leave it at that and look forward to being back here with you next week business owners. Unlock the benefits Bitcoin has to offer your business with a Bitcoin for Business quick start guide. This 27 page guide highlights the six ways you can grow your business with Bitcoin. Check it out in the show notes. This episode is sponsored by Free Market Kids join the league of families who are transforming family time into unforgettable Bitcoin learning experiences. With our hodl up Bitcoin mining board game, you're not just playing. You're building bridges, creating memories and unlocking the brilliance of the future one block at a time. They developed something called the age 18 list. So basically, what do we want our kids to have developed, whether it's character or skills or other things like that? Basically, who do we want them to be by age 18?
1: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Bitcoin Homeschoolers. Today, Tali and I sit down with the very thoughtful Josh Friedemann. And he talks about his experience going all the way through high school being homeschooled. Enjoy. We have Josh Friedemann from Business Bitcoinization. And today we're going to hear a very different side of things. He happens to have been homeschooled. And this podcast is about Bitcoiners who are also homeschoolers, and this is going to be a, a really interesting discussion. We can't wait to get into it. Josh, thank you for, for joining us today. This is this is great.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, appreciate the time to talk about this. Homeschooling is something that is really important to me, and even though I'm not homeschooling anyone at the moment, I'm excited to be able to share some of my experiences Uh from being homeschooled and hopefully some people will gain encouragement from that and maybe pick up some ideas in the process of either what to do or what not to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Depending on what you think about me.
1: No, that's great. No, we appreciate it. So maybe can you, can you start there? What was
2: your experience like being homeschooled? Before we, we jump into that. Can we ask you, did your mom ever tell you why she decided to homeschool you guys?
0: Hmm. So I've probably heard her talk about that in the past, and it was definitely something that both my parents wanted to do. I know different different couples have, you know, one person or the other wants to do and has to convince the other, but they were usually they were they really had a unified front there, which I think is really valuable to make sure before you make a big decision like this, you're on the same page. But you know, I I can't remember her exact explanation or their exact explanation, but I think that they just really believed that they could do a good job and they both grew up in a public school system that they had different experiences, but they, they both would probably say that those experiences were lacking. I know for my mom, one thing I can say is that she was the valedictorian of her class and she would going up through school, she would finish her work ahead of a lot of her classmates. And find herself sitting in class doing nothing. And as a homeschooler, you don't have to do that. And we can talk about a little bit more of that later. But my dad, I mean, he, he, he's been through the public education system. You know, he graduated high school, went to college, got his bachelor's in education. He was a student athlete during that time. Uh, during his, you know, he redshirted. And so he got a master's in education during that time. Went off, got a Master of Divinity, which is a seminary degree, went back to the University of Kansas where he'd gotten his previous two degrees, got a PhD in education. So if anyone should have insight into the education system, especially the public education system, is my dad, and frankly, he's not a fan of it, <laughs> despite having spent that much time there. He's still an educator to this day, but uh, I don't think he would say that public education is the way to go for at least a lot of people.
1: Yeah. Wow, what a background. Go ahead, Tali.
2: So, when you were f- being uh, homeschooled, are we talking, are we, because I don't know how old you are, um, is it in the late 1980s, 1990s? Around what time are we talking about?
0: So, I'm in my early 30s, <laughs> uh, about to turn <laughs> 32 uh, next month, depending on when this airs. But um, oh, I was I was homeschooled. Yeah, so I was born in 91. I was homeschooled throughout the 90s, which is like kind of when it was still a little weird, but not quite as weird as the 80s. And uh, then I've had there were um, six of us growing up and there's still six of us. So nothing nothing tragic happened there in case the way I phrased that sounded strange. But um, my the my youngest brother graduated high school, I believe, in 2016 if that's right no it's not 2016 he just graduated college it must have been 2019 or 2018 something like that mm-hmm. so he he's totally out but the our ed- education kind of spans probably the mid 90s to the mid 2010s and so w- there's quite a bit of homeschooling uh, this there's quite a bit about homeschooling that changed across those 20 years
2: right yeah because when when you were in homeschooling I think the majority of Americans probably didn't even know that that was a possibility. I didn't. Um, and my mm-hmm. kids are are younger than you. And so to go back even 10 years from when we started, it must have been a very, very strong conviction on the part of both of your parents to pursue that. And especially because that was pre-everybody had a computer time. And so whatever you curriculum you wanted to use, you had to get the physical books. And yeah. you know where do you go to source those materials? Where do you go for support? They must have had really strong conviction. Hmm. So,
1: well, so just to, to keep moving. What was your what was your point of view while you were being homeschooled? Because because the next question I'm going to get into later is going to be like as a bitcoiner looking back, like kind of making connections with a lot of things that we see today. Um, but for you personally, I mean, you mean, you've you've obviously graduated. You've gone on. You're Building your own career, so it's it's behind you. What what did you feel when while you were going through it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I always really liked it. There are a couple things that there's there's one thing that was a frustration for me at times. For me, it wasn't enough to actually want to not be homeschooled on most days. Uh, then there's kind of a secondary one, which um, you know you can kind of weigh in for yourself. Neither of these are legitimate issues for most homeschoolers today. So the first thing is I didn't have the opportunity to play sports. I mean, I did, but um, it was a lot harder. Um, And so having that experience like is a little bit of a frustration at certain times, especially as I had friends who were in private schools or I didn't really have that many close friends in public schools, but like friends would be on teams, football teams and whatnot. They were able to play team sports. And I kind of missed out on a, a good chunk of that. Now I'd play some rec soccer. Um uh, We kind of had this thing in, in my family, I guess this is especially important with six kids, but like we're only going to do kind of like one thing at a time, commit to that thing, go all in on it do it well. And so for us, it was like boy Scouts was a pretty significant thing. And we can maybe talk about that. I, I would not personally put my kids in boy Scouts in the future. I think if they even exist, I don't know. They, they've, they definitely gone downhill significantly in recent years, but, but, um, for the boys in our family, boy Scouts was a pretty big thing after boy Scouts. Like I decided to pick up sports again, soccer. Um, it, it was just hard because, uh, I'm a Christian and they practiced on Wednesdays, which is when we had church and they had games on Sundays, which is when I was in church. So it's just one of those things I had to figure out what's really important to me in life. And so that, that was one slight frustration. Now it's not a frustration anymore for a lot of people because there are these homeschool groups that have sports teams. So my youngest brothers, they were like heavily involved in basketball, had a great experience. And the youngest was even thinking about my youngest brother was thinking about maybe playing in college. And so like, you know, he really developed that talent. Had the the team experience. They traveled places. Like, so there's that's not too much of it, uh, an excuse anymore for people. The second thing was just like, I, you don't necessarily have as many friends potentially if you're when when I was coming up. Now I had some great friends that I'm friends with to this day, and honestly. Give me a handful of friends that I'm friends with for decades over a few that I know in high school or, you know, over a lot that I know in high school and then don't see again. That's how I feel personally. But once again, like if you're on a team, if you're involved in these homeschool groups these days, you're going to have a lot of people. And honestly, they're like super cool people. Not nearly (laughs) not nearly as strange as some some 80s and 90s homeschool. Now you're still going to find strange homeschoolers, and that's what everyone's concerned about—the socialization and all those things. But the truth is, there's some really weird people out there in public and private schools too. So you're going to find great people in these homeschool groups these days.
1: Yeah, I think the whole socialization thing is kind of the the FUD equivalent. That's the the big FUD for for homeschooling. Absolutely, the number, the, the, always the first thing that people ask. I know I personally asked that when Tali first suggested homeschooling. So. No, that's great. Tali. Does there anything else on the on that background?
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree with the the discussion about sports groups because that's another common question we receive a lot from people who are thinking about homeschooling. And for our family in particular, I mean, we're about to leave for the National Homeschoolers Soccer Tournament. And, you know, this okay. is we've been involved in on the same team through two boys for nine straight years, and we've seen Lots of people come and go, but it's always been very consistent. It's a very tight knit group and we are very competitive. The kids do very well and they definitely get to experience both the homeschooling side of the academic studies and the sport, the athletic side. So like you said, it's not really something that's absent anymore. It is, is out there. And sometimes you might have to, depending on where you live, ask a few more people to get to the right organization, but they're there.
1: And I would say, too, we, when our boys were very small, we had the the Cub Scouts. We didn't stay with the Scouts. I think you're right. I haven't looked at it recently, but I think you're right with the trend with that organization. And that leaves a gap where, whether you homeschool or not, what kind of outdoor activities, what kind of leadership activities can you give to your, especially for the boys? That's what I'm thinking. Well,
2: there's trail life. Trail life came up and it's pretty popular right now in the homeschooling Mm -hmm. world.
1: Right. Okay. So that I mean we can list that as a resource in the end, uh, on that. Cause that, that to me is a, it's something that when I was growing up that was, if you, someone was an Eagle scout, that was a major deal. And that's uh you, yep. you had done a lot to put in your proof of work to, to become an Eagle scout. And I don't know if the, wh- where the program is, where the value is in that, but, uh, it, you know, if there's another organization like what you're describing that picks it up. So I think that's, those are all interesting, uh, takeaways from, uh, you know, from that.
2: Yeah, there's a, well, so, there's a. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, just just to interject there. Um, first of all, um, I think that there's a lot of opportunity. You have flexibility to to build all sorts of skills into your kids' lives, to take trips on your own, or you know, with a group of other men if you're taking your sons, or you know, however you want to divide and conquer. But there's a lot of opportunity for doing stuff like that. Now that means that you kind of have to keep yourself in top shape and to hone your own skills, which there's always a temptation as you get older, I feel like to let some of those things fall by the wayside. But I feel like homeschooling challenges you to keep yourself sharp in a lot of different, in a lot of different ways. Now my sister was also involved in American heritage girls. I don't know. I know there's, they still exist. I don't know how they're doing, but I think my sister was one of the first because we, we started a troop or whatever you might call them very early on in the organization's history. And I think she was one of the very first uh, to get the stars and stripes award, which is kind of like the, the highest, I guess you'd say an Eagle scout equivalent, certainly the first in our area, but she's a very early um, person to get the stars and stripes award. All five of the boys were Eagle scouts, but sometimes you just got to go there. There's a season for certain organizations. Sometimes you got to, create something new. Like I would say towards the end, Boy Scouts seemed like they were getting a little soft. I don't know about trail life, but I imagine that there's just that temptation to make things easier for people. And you kind of become a soft organization over time. Maybe you come in and you don't have an organization, but you just create a group around you and go teach great life skills in the outdoors and keep yourself sharp in the process.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's the, one of the best things about homeschooling is how active parents c- can be. And if you have a skill that you want to share with people, I mean, you benefit so many families and vice versa. Right. So teamwork.
1: No, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean, first of all, who's who better? Who cares more about the, the child than the parent? Right? Just to put in the effort to find the, org- the group or start your own. Whatever it is. And then to, yeah, it's like a free market. If you're really good at one trade and I'm good at another, you know, it's almost like the start of a free market. It's the same thing with um, almost like co op groups or other types of things. Did you have anything like that, Josh? Did you have any kind of co op groups that your parents used to help with different subjects that they felt strong or weaker in?
0: So we did have. Times where we'd get together with other families. And I think there was probably a co-op we were a part of. I just remember getting together with groups of homeschoolers for like larger events, do, do things here and there, but it was never nearly as structured as what it is today. I say structured in a good sense. Like there's a lot of opportunities now, but we, I'm trying to think if we. There was probably a subject or two that we may have gone to someone else for, at, at like f- for a very short period of time. Maybe it was like getting ready for standardized testing, getting some math, additional math tutoring or something like that. But for the most part, it was all stuff we kind of did in house. Now, everyone doesn't have to do that, but it'll it work for our family. And e- even, you know, one of the things we added in that's a little abnormal is we, This isn't quite as abnormal, but we did Latin. And then uh, my dad works at a seminary. And so I think starting in maybe ninth grade, we would start taking um, Greek in seminary class. And then after a couple of years of that, a lot of us went on to take Hebrew for about a year and a half as well. And so we were in there with seminary students. You know, we didn't really have that much classroom experience. But that was um, before that. But that was something that probably set us up well for college, just being there, sitting in class. I mean, some lectures, some actual translation and stuff like that in class. But we, you get additional opportunities that you don't necessarily get when you're in a private or public school setting.
1: Yeah, I think that's amazing. Um, and that's something we I don't think we can highlight enough, just how many resources and how much room there is for creativity that are out there. And... It's only increased as you you commented that you were relatively early in the, the, the growth of the homeschooling movement, especially with COVID, it really exploded. And with technologies, things like Sailor Academy and Khan Academy, and I've lost track of honestly how many, there's so many resources available. Plus you have organizational resources too. And you throw that on top of a parent's ability to be creative and say, you're going to go sit in on this class with a bunch of college students or whatever is (laughs) you as a kid, you're like, okay, whatever mom, dad, I'll, I'll go where you say, right. It's, um, it's, um, it's pretty amazing that what you, what you can paint in terms of an experience for your kids. So, all right. Um, I was thinking we could transition a little bit more to, if you were, if you would imagine Josh, that there's someone listening to this that either has young kids or they're thinking about young kids and they're Bitcoiners as a, as a Bitcoiner yourself, and you look back on your experience. um, I have some assumptions about how you feel about homeschooling, but maybe if you could give a little context now with hindsight, um, in particular hindsight as a Bitcoiner, about your homeschooling experience.
0: Hmm. Well, you know, Bitcoin is where I focus a lot of my time and effort, and I want to increasingly do that uh, professionally, focus my time and effort toward Bitcoin but at the same time i feel like this answer would be i'd give the same answer if i were a bitcoiner or not so just kind of set that there i i, I really love what y'all are doing with the whole uh, com, or comparing bitcoin to homeschooling i think there's a lot there and so i think they're they're very complementary but If for some reason I were on another podcast and I weren't a Bitcoiner, I still give some of the the same types of answers. That said, I do think that homeschooling, if it's done well in a way that uh, sparks curiosity in people, that you'll go into life curious. You'll go into life continuing to find new things to learn. Um, You'll probably be more likely to consider things off the beaten path. I feel like just by being homeschooled, especially earlier on, probably still so, uh, you're doing something that's a little abnormal. There've been a lot of things in my life. I feel like, even though I I would consider myself a, you know, normal functioning human being, there are a lot of things that I, a lot of opportunities I had, experiences I had growing up that were were different and unique and beneficial. But the one thing I would say is probably other than just I would say. Don't neglect key basic subjects like, you know, the math and make sure that that people's language skills are strong. I would say one of the strongest things to focus in on, and especially early on, would be engendering or or growing in your kids a love for reading because Mm -hmm. that helps to spark that curiosity Uh, that that helps to discover new worlds you know things that have happened in the past or reading things you know reading fiction and and thinking about what could be i think that the reading is a, a great gateway into all sorts of learning later in life that's one thing that my parents did a lot i mean I, we remember I, <laughs> this is kind of something we talk about in our family but uh kind of like one of those core memories is uh, after lunch you know Three or four of us at the time were standing around chanting the name of a book that we wanted my mom to read. And so she, you know, she'd read to us all the time. And then my dad in the evenings, maybe after dinner or, you know, like at the table, or we'd go sit in the living room. He'd read Chronicles of Narnia. He'd read uh, Lord of the Rings, different things like that. And that just kind of like books were part of our life. And they, they continue to be in a very significant way. So that's like one of the most important things. Read to your kids all the time. Encourage them with great books that they'd enjoy reading. And that's, that's going to be a recipe for success. But here's what truly sets them apart. Velas Commerce doesn't just build. They bring a wealth of knowledge to ensure your project success from day one. Their team understands the nuances of Bitcoin, ensuring that your business stays ahead of the curve. And for all business Bitcoinization listeners out there, Velas Commerce is offering a free consultation to kickstart your project the right way. So if you're ready to future proof your business in the coming age of hyper Bitcoinization, head over to velascommerce.com or reach out on Twitter at Velis Commerce. Let's make Sure, your business thrives in the Bitcoin era.
1: Yeah, I love that. You're nodding your head. Tell me anything else on.
2: Well, on I can that? see, I can see that you still love books because your you, <laughs> your background is just covered
0: with hundreds. This of is books. O- this is only a few of them. Um, right now, my wife and I are living in an apartment, and we only have so much space. But we have two other rooms with plenty of books, and then I have. A uh, closet just off to the side that has boxes of books as well. But yeah, um, still, still love reading. Uh, I've kind of turned to audiobooks significantly as well. Uh, but you know, in my in my uh, parents' house, still to this day in the living room, there's one wall that's. An entire bookshelf. And then there's another place that used to be our classroom. That's now more of like a sitting area, study area. And there's, you know, two walls, that are just full of bookshelves. And so we have books all over the place and they're, they're very comforting to me. I love, I love having books around, but it's just great to have access to good reading.
2: Oh yeah. So when our kids were little, I used to stand in line outside the library on the day of the month when they would have the library sale. And back then it was 10 cents a book. So you would see it in long lines, people like before the door even opened. And when the door opened, everybody just like ran in and started just like putting just handful, armfuls of books into their basket. And I remember bringing home bag after bag after bag of books. And because they're only 10 cents, the kids can do whatever they want when they can take it to the bathroom with them. They can bring it into bed mm-hmm. with them. And I'm not upset when they bend the corner or if the book gets destroyed because it's been like carried everywhere with them. You know, I would rather they fall in love with the books than to worry about keeping the book nice. I, I knew some people who were so careful about their books because I don't know, they were trying to keep it nice. And then in so doing, they were discouraging their kids from really interacting with a book. So if my kids wanted to take crayons and markers and they went into the book and they were adding their own illustrations mm-hmm. to the story, like that's all good, you know? So whatever mm-hmm. it takes to just, like you said, surround your kids with reading material, they find a way to interact with the books if we don't put a bunch of rules on yeah, how but... books should be treated.
1: Well, the other thing that Josh said that I that I really like to, and and Joss, I'm really glad you brought this up. I personally have not been highlighting reading much lately. I've been talking a lot lot about homeschooling lately, but I have not been, I I just almost back my mind, take it for granted that of course everybody has thousands of books in their house and that's just the, the way it is. But the other thing that was on my mind with your comment there is the involvement of, you said basically, I think you were saying your dad was reading, you know, token or whatever it was. And I think part of what you're doing with your kids is you're setting the example. So I could flood you with a bunch of books, but if I just go and watch my TV, you know, sitcom or stay on the internet or do something else, then the message that the kids are going to pick up on is from an example standpoint. So what I hear you saying, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that your parents were, they were right there with you. Like they were, they were reading, either reading to you or you saw them reading or you're reading together. Like to me, that's, that's a second big, um, big takeaway. You're setting the example for your kids at all times. And if you really want to cultivate a love of reading, well then yeah, go get, go get books and let them see you read.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, that extends to many other areas of their lives. Um, so my, my parents, we've always, um, been involved in ministry. My dad, in in addition to being a seminary professor, he's also a pastor. There are a lot of pastors, kids that traditionally uh, walk away from the Christian faith because they've been hurt by people in a church. You know, they've seen how um, their, their parents have been treated or they've seen that their parents kind of live two different lives. And I was so fortunate to have parents that, you know, they say something and that's who they are. That's what they believe. And so I've seen that modeled in many different areas. Education's one of them for sure, for sure. It's a very important one. But just in general, seeing seeing your parents say something and then follow through and be that person they say they are is really powerful. So live it in front of your kids. And your example is just going to be so influential in their lives. But I love
1: hearing personal stories. And so the idea of people like they had a, a habit of reading or they had they. To- built a tree house together or, or something. So, um, would you, would you be okay sharing maybe what one of your favorite memories or things that you recall from your homeschooling experience that really stuck with you?
0: Yeah. You know, as, as I think about it, there, there'd be tons and tons of stories that I could share. Um, one of the things that I don't know if this would have come up naturally in other scenarios was, is just that my mom was amazing at helping things seem just amazing and really come to life. Like this is true educationally and we'll get to that, but like birthday parties for her or the, just this massive thing. And we didn't have tons of money. It's like, um, I don't know if people are aware, but, um, seminary professors generally don't get paid all that much. Um, you know, it's, it's just not, we didn't have a lot of money. And it's not that like we didn't have enough money. We were always fine. But it's not like when my mom's throwing these big birthday parties, it's because we have all of these, all of all this money we can throw at expensive things. But what what she could make with a refrigerator box would blow your mind. And so like we'd have these, uh, you know, uh, we'd have have like an underground road, um, underground railroad birthday party, you know, civil war theme. We have world war two themed birthday parties or whatever else I, when we were kids, a lot of it was like fighting types of parties, but like she'd put on these whole events. I remember um, when we were studying the Vikings, she created an entire Viking ship with refrigerator boxes and like being able to go inside of a Viking ship, uh, as a little, you know, soldier making, <laughs> making helmets with, um, out of milk jugs, you turn them upside down, you had a little nose guard and all those things like, um, Uh, you know, mining for gold uh, with little like gold pellet BBs in sand and all these different things like that kind of really help things come to life. And so that's, that's what I first thought of when you asked about that. But especially if I were like sitting now with my siblings and we were talking about different things, all sorts of stories would, would come out of this, but definitely a lot of really fun memories. Yeah. That sounds really special. I, I,
1: now that I think about it, too, I mean, we've talked about this with others, but this, I think, hammers at home. Like, your the amount of time you spend with your kids is so much greater when they're young than after mm-hmm. they leave, but it's also true between siblings. If you were to yeah. go to a public school and you were in separate classes mm-hmm. and you're, quote unquote, socializing, even though half the time you're standing in line or you're sitting in a seat and you can't move, um, the memories that you have with your siblings, not just your your, your mom making these amazing... Very creative type of things. It sounds like a pretty fun house. Um, but you also have these things that you can share. These lifelong memories. You now have these bonds with your siblings as well. And I think back on our our kids are pretty close in in age. When four kids within you know five years. A tight tight shop group. And the number of stories and things of things they did together. Uh, what you're describing is making me recall a lot of what I witnessed. And I didn't even get to see it every day because I was working. So, um, yeah, that's another, another benefit to the homeschooling side from family bonds that you just, I mean, that's, that's a, it's a certain point in their life that you, it's only a short, it it only lasts for so long and then it's going to, you can't go back. So, well, thanks for, thanks for sharing that.
0: So one additional thing that is probably worth adding, it's not particularly homeschool related, but that as you talked about, just kind of like spending time with your siblings or with your family, one of the things that uh, we we really valued and that my parents really set a precedent for was using family meal times as really mm. valuable real estate so for us it was that's kind of where we did family devotions before dinner we'd have you know, quite a bit of things we'd we'd do together we sang together all these different things um, and taking advantage of that time eating together is really important and and um, you know, this, this may not be relevant to most people, but my, my dad has been teaching this type of stuff in his classes, um, at the seminary for years. And you, would you mind if he, he wrote a book, um, oh, would up, you mind if in. I kind of share the title and yeah, let you people can go ahead? So this is, you know, for, for Christian families specifically, but honestly, if you have no faith, you you could still find some value in something like this. It's called discipleship in the home. And, Uh, His name is Matt Friedemann. And it talks about basically how he raised kids and how he would recommend what he's learned from other people. He also recently has done something for grandparents, kind of added it to the new edition of the book. One of the interesting things that he took away from that, and this goes back to homeschooling some, is pretty soon after having um, their first kid, my oldest brother, um, they kind of started looking at each other saying, like, what are we, what are we doing? <laughs> like what we could mess this up. And I think part of your message is like, as long as you're there, as long as you're really looking for the best for them, you're not going to be perfect, but you're not really going to mess things up. But one thing that that they talked about or one thing they talked about together and then decided to do, and they also encouraged this in the book is they developed something called the age 18 list. So basically what do we want our kids to have developed? whether it's character or skills or other things like that. Basically, who do we want them to be by age 18? And obviously, you want to talk about some broader terms. It can be somewhat specific, like you don't want to plan out your kids' lives. But knowing as parents, what do we want for our kids? And what do we need to be doing to make that outcome the most likely? And so, my dad, I heard him talking a few years ago, kind of raised the point like, really, if you get into adolescence... And these things, you're not well on your way to achieving these things, then it gets a lot more difficult. So you really said it's kind of like an age 12 or 13 list. And so I don't say that to put pressure on people, but especially if you're early on in your parenting career, so to speak, thinking through what what you want your kids to be like, who you want them to be and figuring out how you can help them to get there. Is incredibly valuable just so you have that long-term perspective and plan
1: yeah i love it low, long, low time preference long-term planning uh, applied to your, your kid's future basically i think you're, me, i
2: think you're right in saying that instead of an age 18 list, it almost really needs to be an age 12 list maybe mm-hmm. even younger if you really <laughs> think about it um yeah because when we were young parents i remember uh You know, when you talk to other parents, they you always hear the thing about the terrible twos, and oh my god, you know, just hold on. You know, you're holding your newborn. They're like, oh, well, just wait until the baby's two, and then it's he or she's just going to be shouting no at you all the time. So you they create this expectation, and then of course the other part of that is once they enter teenage years, expect that they will rebel and they're going to be rude and they're going to tell you they hate you all the time. Like that's the almost the cultural expectations. That um, that I kept hearing until I started looking into some of the some of the people who are who are veteran um, homeschooling parents, and they're like, no, it doesn't have to be like that. If you have good communication with them, you don't have to live through the terrible twos. You know, you'll have a little bit of a struggle, but it's not going to be the terrible with a capital T twos mm-hmm. or or the rebellious teenage years because mm-hmm. we didn't go through that. I. My kids would tell me that my memory is not perfect, um, that I only remember the good stuff. But in my mind, I don't feel like we went through the horrible stages that culture in general tells you to expect. And I think it comes Mm. down to communication and, um, you know, the the list that you were talking about, like the qualities that you want to help them develop from from the very beginning, really.
1: Right. Yeah. Love of reading would be on there probably. So yeah. Yeah, good cool yeah. stuff. Yeah.
0: So th- to speak to that, we didn't really go through um, I can't really speak to the terrible twos quite as much. I'm sure there were some of us in, in in all stages. Some of us were more difficult than others, I would say. Um and that's that's just from what I've heard, not as much from my direct memory. But we definitely didn't have any terrible adolescent periods. Um we had we had strong values that i mean we we believed in things and part of that's cuz like we saw our parents and they they said something and they lived that thing it's not that they said one thing and lived something different and i think that's that's a really valuable thing just kind of going back to that theme we talked about earlier but you know yeah we had some arguments and difficult times but it wasn't anything like a rebellious adolescent period that mm-hmm. like you said tally is like that's just almost the expectation. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of things in life that we just kind of assume are going to happen. They don't have to happen. It's just that we're so used to kind of falling into patterns that we see around us. And homeschooling is certainly not one of those patterns or traditionally hasn't been. And, um, it's, it's a valuable thing for people to consider strongly for sure. Yeah. So, um,
1: I'd like, I always ask people what recommendations they have for resources or uh, other ideas. You've already been kind of giving some kind of value bombs along <laughs> along the way. Yeah. So, I mean, um, discipleship in the home, uh, definitely. We'll have a link to that in the in the show notes. Um, but is there anything that we didn't cover about homeschooling in general or something specific that um, you, you think we should have covered? Anything that we missed?
2: You- well, we were going to talk about the concept of dyslexia. Oh, that's a great one. how common it is. And it might be hard for parents to diagnose because they're in the teaching mode and they're most likely if the child isn't reading, they're going to think, oh, it's my fault. I didn't teach him the right way or I'm doing something wrong. But you mentioned that it is actually quite a common occurrence and that there are ways to help uh, combat that.
0: Yeah. So uh, a few things there. One of the things jogged my memory on something I meant to say earlier. And so I'll get to, to the dyslexia side in just a moment. And let me preface the dyslexia part by saying, I don't know what I'm talking about, but my wife is a dyslexia therapist. She went to school for this. This is what she has her master's in. And um, one of the interesting things that I learned from her is that 15 to 20% of the population have some sort of issue with dyslexia to some, to some degree or another. Obviously there's, there's variation there. The thing I wanted to bring up before we kind of talk about dyslexia a little bit more is to, I really encourage people. You have the flexibility of doing this as a homeschooler. Keep it easy. Don't try to model the classroom setting uh, that you see in schools or that you probably grew up with. Like I remember, and I can't remember what grade this is, but it was probably like uh, Mid elementary school years, my brother, uh, who's just beneath me, were the closest in the family by age, about sixteen months apart. We get up early in the morning. We go to our school, and it felt like within thirty minutes, but probably like within an hour, we'd be done with everything. We would spend the rest of the day playing, you know, outside, riding bikes, whatever. We, like that's an amazing opportunity, especially for younger kids. Um, my wife recently read a book, and I I forget what it was, but it's talking about the value of why it's so important for kids to be outside and how little they get outside these days. And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's tragic. That's kind of how our system set up But you don't have to set your household up like that. And so, you know, we didn't take this changes. We got older, but we didn't take a lot of time doing tests. And like, that's a lot of stress. Like you should have a good idea if your kids learning the material or not, because there are only a few, you know, check their work every day. Like we did, we did our math. And it was checked, and we have to go fix the problems and whatever else. But we didn't just like have tons and tons and tons of tests. Now, uh, my wife's family did it a little bit differently. Had some friends who uh, had like beasts of history tests, like their mom just, she was a history person. And so, anyway, people do it differently, but take advantage of the opportunity to, you know, take a little more of an easy pace, or at least don't stress your kids out with like excess testing and excess structure so there's that um but when it comes to the dyslexia therapy side of things an interesting thing in addition to the 15 to 20 percent of people have some level of dyslexia is that in order to actually be diagnosed with dyslexia you have to have an average or above average iq because if you have a below average iq there's a good chance that it's something else like there's some other sort of um processing disability or something, 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 so that means that if you have dyslexia, it can be frustrating and some people don't like to be tagged with that, so to speak, but it means that you're probably above average in intelligence, which is kind of neat. Um, that, that's, that's at least a nice thing for people to realize. And, and then I don't think this is anything new because people have talked about this, but usually people with dyslexia have to kind of figure out how to make their situation work. And so they can actually be really good at other things, you know, coping with their, their situation. I, I can't kind of speak too much beyond that, but I will say that, um, it's worth considering a little bit. Um, maybe if you really do feel like your, your kid is having some difficulty learning, I don't know what dyslexia testing there would be in your area, but there are ways to get your, you know, get, a get your kid tested. Um, and then also it's not like a medical test. It's, you know. Going, going through, um, I don't even know what the test is, but there are ways to do it. A lot of schools do it. I don't know if they would do it for homeschoolers or not. There's also, um, tutors and I think they'd be cool. There may be stuff like this out there where that helps, um, resources that help parents know how to help their kids in a way that's actually been, been researched and, and, and studied well. So those are a mm-hmm. few thoughts. Um, the, uh, may, maybe just the last thing is sometimes people, and I think, once again, I don't want to get too far uh, out of my my depth here, but I, I feel like especially with boys, sometimes they just process differently to getting to that point of being able to read. And I, I just, I knew this kid who was not reading very quickly. Then all of a sudden, one day I saw him and he was reading out loud these pretty complex books for a five-year-old it just it took him a while but when it clicked it clicked and so if you know i don't know the the exact processing development but like sometimes kids move at a different pace you don't have to put your kid into a box but if you're getting to that point where you are concerned um, i know that my wife's work focuses significantly on like the elementary age and that's when it's the best time to be working with kids there's still strategies and things like that you can learn afterward but always you know the best time is is to work with someone when they're younger
1: Oh, yeah. All kinds of good, really great points there. Oh, that's awesome! All right, well, I I propose that we why don't we take some of those as <clears throat> as subjects for additional deep dives, and maybe we kind of I feel like we're I mean, man, we've covered a lot of material. I feel like we're we, we're at a good stopping point. Josh, what um, what uh, what can we do to help get whatever it is? You could be your your podcast. It can be any project you're working on. It could be, um, your dad's book. <laughs> what, uh, uh, what, what, uh, what do you want to tell the folks? And then, um, of course I'll put anything in the, in the show notes so you can help me with links.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, of most relevance to what we've talked about today, um, this isn't a resource, but just a reminder, like I think one of the best things you can be doing, well, two things, modeling what you say, you know, actually living with integrity, and that should go without saying, but maybe it doesn't. So live with integrity and help your kids learn to love reading, primarily by reading to them, especially early on, but even as they continue to grow up. Um, of most relevance to what we've talked about today as far as resources go, yes, my dad's book, Discipleship in the Home by Matt Friedman. Um, A lot of people have found it to be helpful. Um, you'll at least get an additional perspective from that book if you want to hear more from me. I have a podcast that is fairly niche, I guess, like this one. And that's usually a really good thing. It's it's called Business Bitcoinization. And it's for business owners who are interested in or looking to or maybe have already adopted Bitcoin in their businesses. The idea is I, I want to help business owners hear from other business owners who are using Bitcoin and be encouraged to do the same. So if you want to find that, you can look it up on any Um, podcasting platform. If you want to go to kind of the site where everything is, that's bizbit.blog.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. Josh, thank you so much for sharing your your thoughts, sharing your your experiences with, with everybody. And we're very grateful for your time. And we're looking forward to many more conversations.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
2: If you enjoyed this podcast and if you found this valuable, please leave a review to help others find us too.
1: For those who prefer zapping sats, we love those too. We're on Fountain, we're on Noster, and we're on Orange Pill app.
2: Also, I host a women's only Bitcoin podcast called Orange Hatter. And the mission of that podcast is to reach pre-coiner women. So if you know of someone in your life that you would like to introduce Bitcoin to, check it out.
1: So Tali and I also don't have sponsors for this show. We are trying to build and run Free Market Kids. You can check out our products at freemarketkids.com. This includes the Bitcoin mining game, Hoddle Up, which is a great introduction to Bitcoin.
2: The school edition of Hoddle Up is always available. We also have the 2024 halving edition. It's going to be super deluxe. Very excited to roll it out. It is available on presale at a 21% discount.
0: Until next time, happy hodling. Well, friends, it's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Business Bitcoinization Show. Let me know what you thought and definitely check out the Bitcoin Homeschoolers podcast. You'll find plenty of info in the show notes below. As always, keep building, keep growing, and until next time, keep living and leading well. lightning wallet and one of my favorite features is that once you're using the app you can earn Sats just by listening on fountain check out the link in the show notes to get started with fountain today